0: Good afternoon, good morning. Um, we are so thankful to God for His grace uh, giving us another chance to hear the truth, to hear the Word of God. Um, uh, today, I'm starting on a series that I believe might take a long time to finish, but It's something that was, I think, something that we need to uh, think about more often. And it's something that we read and don't really think deep about what it means or what it is. Uh, So we are going through, we're going to start a journey through the Beatitudes. Many of us have read the Beatitudes. Many of us just read them in passing, especially in, in our childhood. We were taught to memorize the Beatitudes. So let us turn our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Let us turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. We shall read verse 1 to 3. And we shall anchor on verse Three, which said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And my uh, sermon title is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me read from verse 1 to verse 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Grace Lord, glory, thank you for uh, this time of grace, time of hearing from your word. Uh, we live in or oh, we live under so much grace that we have these scriptures in our disposable. We have these scriptures with us. Without limit, we can go into them any time and dig deep into them and understand and reach them, O oh Lord. And we are even more thankful that we do not have to understand them by ourselves, but we have the spirit of anointing, the Holy Spirit which dwells in us, which, um, the, uh, the Holy Spirit who teaches us to understand your word, to understand your truth. Um, thank you, O oh Lord. Um, for this amazing grace. We ask, O oh Lord, that this message may uh, change the hearts of your people, even uh, my heart as I deliver this message. Help us, Lord, be attentive to your word. Those that might be feeling tired and sleepy, we ask, O oh Lord, that you give them strength to uh, listen and uh, benefit from this message. In Jesus' name, I prayed. Amen. So the the Beatitudes um, are found in the first of the five discourses that we find in the book of Matthew, or the discourses that are outlined in the book of Matthew. So Matthew is known for these five famous discourses, and most of us know that the first discourse, which is in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, as the Sermon on the Mount. And this discourse is known to be the, the first and the longest discourse found in the book of Matthew. But before we dive in to understand or to, to see what this discourse or the Beatitudes as we are going through this, what, what they say, we need to understand the background or where Matthew came from with his message all the way to this lesson that we're about to learn uh, we, see, we know that these authors or the writers of the Gospels, they are very uh, unique in their style. They are very unique in what they are trying to deliver. And Matthew has a unique way of delivering the message and has a unique way of arranging the teachings of Jesus Christ. So as we read Matthew previously, uh, we see Jesus at the baptism we're skipping his birth in chapter one in chapter two uh, that's yeah that's another different uh, story and then there is his life so there's a gap between his birth and then his life where he is taken to the scene of baptism so we previously see jesus at the baptism where the full Godhead presently inaugurates jesus ministry uh, John was baptizing and he said, after me comes he who, whose uh, uh, shoe I cannot take or remove. And then Jesus comes in and was baptized by John. And in his baptism, we see um, God the Father present and God the Holy Spirit present. We see that as he was baptized John testifies that he sees he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon the Son of God. And following that, people heard a voice from heaven, or heard a voice from heaven, which said, This is my son uh, in whom I'm well pleased. So this is the the, the, the setting of the baptism. And here we see the inauguration or the confirmation of Jesus' ministry. That Jesus, as he starts his ministry, does not start it alone, but he had the Father with him, and he had the Spirit with him. So as he was walking, he was walking uh, in the in unity with the full Godhead. From there, Matthew moves us, or he takes us. He led. Um, he, So, yeah, from here, Matthew takes us to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, Just before, okay, before the ministry, we see Jesus being taken into the wilderness in chapter 4. Into the wilderness in chapter 4, where Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. He had the Holy Spirit within him, and he's led... By the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and this is the life of Jesus Christ that he has already started living on our behalf, not the beginning of the ministry mid uh, chapter four, but in the uh, in the wilderness he 's already started working, he goes through temptation, he goes through trials, and now. Looking at this, we can testify to say Jesus Christ was able to live the life that we were not able to live. Which is uh, being tempted and yet without sin. Being tempted and not uh, succumbing to temptation. And these temptations are looked at in the future. We read in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 which, uh, through 15 which says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. This is even referring back to the sin of the wilderness where Jesus Christ is being tempted of the devil. So the ministry, according to how I see it, I think Jesus' ministry had already begun then from the time of baptism. So there from the wilderness scene, um, Matthew takes us to the beginning of Jesus' ministry as in the preaching that he starts or that he begins to do. Matthew chapter 4, 17, which says, From that time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we see now in his preaching, uh, Jesus tells people to repent and introduces the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven which people had for long ago been waiting for. And Jesus came and says, Repent, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand. So, after this, Jesus begins to call his disciples and continues to preach the gospel from city to city, doing signs and wonders, and a huge crowd was following him. So, this is the, 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 the direction that Matthew wants us to follow as we study the life of Christ. We are seeing Jesus Christ beginning his ministry. And before he begins to even teach people about the kingdom, he preaches repentance. He preaches repentance and then he introduces the kingdom of God. So, Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 which says, And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread out or spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics um, and he heals them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So now we see that as he was preaching repentance, people were believing in him and people began to follow Jesus Christ. There was huge crowds. So immediately after this section, Matthew introduces the first sermon by Jesus Christ on the mount where his message was anchored on the life of a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. So people are following him. They, I don't know if they wanted the kingdom of heaven, if they were following him because they, 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 they were intrigued by the idea of the kingdom of heaven some in that time his disciples they had heard his message repent and they repented and they followed Christ so Jesus is his first or according to Matthew even though there um, there are ideas that uh, this Sermon on the Mount was done later but Matthew takes it to put it as the first sermon but it makes sense to us as we read that when, you, when the kingdom of heaven is introduced, now you want to understand what is the kingdom of heaven. If I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, what is required of me? What kind of a person should I be in the kingdom of heaven? Just like in a, if, if you are part of a certain country, there are different laws and rules in different countries. There are different cultures, different behaviors expected of people or citizens of a certain kingdom. So Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus here is teaching the character, or what's, what's the character of life in the kingdom? What is the character of life? What, is, what are you required to be like in the kingdom of heaven? He's also also showing us or teaching us what level of righteousness is required for entrance into the kingdom. People who should be part of the kingdom, people who belong in the kingdom of heaven. What kind of righteousness is, is required? How righteous should you be to be in the kingdom of heaven? People expected the kingdom to be just, you know, he's the king and, you know, uh, we are his subjects and people continue to live the way they would live. I don't know if that's how they thought, but Jesus came with a different idea that if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven, this is what's expected of you. Not saying that people would have the strength to do what it takes to be in the kingdom. But Jesus is just opening your eyes to see this is what you want. This is what you need to be. And with that in mind, you realize that I cannot, there's nothing that I can do. I don't qualify. And Jesus then will uh, give you the righteousness. Or he will impute his righteousness to be in the kingdom. So now we are in Matthew chapter 5. We talked about Jesus as he's being followed by huge crowds of people. From he was preaching from city to city, and people are following after him. And then Matthew begins by saying, "Seeing the crowds, that's in verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying." Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here we are introduced to the first character of uh, kingdom citizens or people in the kingdom of God. And he gives these characters in form of beatitudes, even though further he he, he even explains more uh, about what kind of people should they be if they want to be part of the kingdom. But here he gives his message in form of Beatitudes. So, so these Beatitudes, though they are very short, as you read, is just like a short statement, and they are also very proverbial, like they are in form of proverbs, uh, they carry so much meaning. And each of these Beatitudes, I think we need to, to try as much as we can to study them and understand what they are, what they mean. Because, you know, it will take you three minutes to read, not even three, just a minute to read through the Beatitudes. But understanding them, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of study of the scriptures. So this is what we shall attempt to do as we look at this Beatitude um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before we get into that, we have to understand terminology what terms mean uh, in the Beatitude. So, Jesus' first charge was blessed, or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the first term we need to understand is the term blessed. We need to say the foundation of on what blessed or happy mean. I think the, uh, the, the NASB, it reads as how happy or how blessed is the man, or how blessed is this. Here the, the term blessed can be interchanged with happy. So what does happy mean in this context? Happy in this context does not carry the same meaning as the world sees it. Happy does not carry the same meaning as the world sees it. The definition of happiness in Zimbabwe is attached to worldly pleasures. They are attached to what can you enjoy in this world, what do you have. For example, money brings happiness. When you're poor, there's no happiness. This is how the world sees happiness. When you're sick, there's no happiness. When you're healthy, there's happiness. When it's your birthday, you're happy. When it's your funeral, no one is happy. So this is how the the happiness of the world is defined. It's attached to worldly pleasures. It's attached to material gains of the world. But in this context, happiness is the happiness that results from godliness. The happiness, according to this context, is the happiness that results from godliness. Because it doesn't make sense. If it, if it doesn't make sense to say that happy are the poor, according to the world, if the world looks at it, they'll be like, "This is uh, ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense." But scripture is speaking of the opposite that happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so this is a kind of happiness that comes from affirmations like it is well with my soul even in the midst of struggles in the midst of affliction in the midst of trials persecution poverty anything that you can name and then you can say, it is low with my soul, and you continue to rejoice in Christ. That's the happiness that is being talked about. So this happiness is not conditioned by circumstances, or worldly circumstances, either good or bad. When it is good, when things are good, when things are going well, you are happy. When things are not going well, you are not happy this happiness remains through mourning and through laughter through poverty and through riches through grief and through joy through gain and loss through weakness and in strength through love and heartbreak through death and life through freedom and intense persecution this happiness Or this blessedness remains unmovable. So when you say you're truly blessed, you're truly happy, is your happiness defined or is it modeled by worldly circumstances or is modeled by godliness in you? Me, I pray that the Lord may give us or may grant us such blessedness. This, this blessedness or this happiness can never, can never be attained by human efforts. It can only come from God as a free gift for righteousness. It only comes from God as a free gift for righteousness. I hope and I pray that you desire for such happiness. I know we struggle in our lives um, that uh, our levels of happiness always change based on how life is going for you. When you are in tough times, you tend to be sad. When things are going well, you are happy. But friends, the Bible does not give that as uh, the definition of happiness. And it is true that in life we are always going to go through difficulties. There is always time for good and time for bad. Time for crying, time for laughing. Time for, for uh, joy and time for sadness. But there's one thing that remains, that should remain, that uh, God uh, gives in all circumstances, which is true blessedness. So having touched on the meaning of blessed or blessedness or happy or happiness, what proceeds are, number one, the condition or the state or the character. As we dissect the the verse verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing we see is a condition or a state or a character. The second thing we note is a reward or a promise. A promise that results in this condition. In this uh, context, the condition that we are given is poor in spirit poor in spirit and the reward or the promise is theirs is the kingdom of heaven as I quote from scripture so now let's look at the meat of um, our uh, journey today now who is the poor in spirit that's the question who is the poor in spirit what does it mean to be Poor in spirit. So, a person who's poor in spirit is a person who is humble before God. A person who's poor in spirit is a person who's humble before God. It's a person who has come to a realization that they have nothing to offer to God, there's nothing they can give to God for the exchange of the kingdom these are people that are helpless they are broke and broken before god they're helpless there's nothing they can do no matter how much they try they are broke and broken by broke i mean bankrupt you have nothing to pay for the kingdom and you're broken there's nothing about you that gives you worthiness before god these people are hopeless sinners. When I say hopeless sinner, is like you have sinned and sinned and sinned to a point that you're like, I'm done. I, 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 I cannot do anything. There's nothing. I cannot go before God with anything in my hand to say, God, look at me. I'm worthy to be accepted by you. I'm sure some have gone through that, that you sin and sin and sin. Even in your Christian life, you sin and you struggle with sin, that even when you try to put on measures or to put measures to say, this is the way I'm going to deal with sin, you continue to fail. And to a point that you give up and say, you know what, I'm putting everything down. If God, if you do not save me, Lord, no one can save me. If you do not save me, nothing can save me. This is the level of hopelessness of a person who's poor in spirit. A person who's poor in spirit is a person with deep contrition. A person who feels undone. The sin that they commit is so heavy upon them that they cannot way they cannot remove it themselves. They are full of regret. They are full of uh, shame and guilt and everything is is just upon them. They cannot do anything. They are stuck. A person who is poor in spirit feels himself or they feel themselves unworthy before God. You look at yourself you look at God and you just you just can't even stand in the presence of God. You want to melt and you want to uh, become inexistent before God. Before God you feel filthy and you feel wretched before God. This is a, a very uh, true opposite of um, arrogance. This is what humility is. Being humble is not to say, ah, you know, uh, Lord, you know, sometimes people define humility in a very uh, strange way, but humility is, is that feeling of unworthiness. It's not just trying to say, you know, you ascend, I descend, you know. But it's, it's understanding and knowing that you are, ra- you, are, you, are you are a wretch. You are a piece of nothing before God. There's nothing about you that can wow God. There's nothing about you that you can present to God and say, God, look at me. I have worthiness within me. That's humility, true humility. This according to Scripture, are such people for the kingdom of heaven. These are the people that can enter the kingdom of heaven, not the arrogant, not those with self-righteousness, not those who think that they can do good by themselves, not those who give alms to the poor, not those who uh, take care of their families well, no! But it's those who realize that even in in their abilities, they're still wretched, they're still worthless before God. Examples of how this looks like from the scriptures. This is not just coming from the top of my mind, but we see in scriptures there are a lot of people that had such characteristics. Let us turn to Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to see... What unworthiness before God did. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. This is the calling of Moses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Did he even know that it was the mountain of God? He didn't. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned.
1: When the Lord saw that
0: he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, I am the God. Of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Look at that. Some people like to say, I know, I went to heaven, I saw God, Uh, I saw, you know, but here we see people, when they see, when God introduced himself, he was like, "Mm, this sight is not uh, good for me, I am unworthy before God, I can't even look at God.
1: Then the Lord said,
0: verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to de- deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold uh, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now listen to this. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel? Out of Egypt, this is unworthiness before God. Like, out of all these people, out of the righteous people, you can find people that are more righteous than I am. Who am I before you that you'd come to me and give me this task? Imagine if God was to choose you out of people to say, "You, I want you to do this." And then you look at Jesus like, "What am I that you Who am I before you that you'd send me?" to do this. This is the feeling of unworthiness, the spiritual poverty. I mean, the, 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 the idea of being poor in spirit that we see from Moses. Another example, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. This is also a calling of Isaiah the prophet. Verse 1 to 5. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. He had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew... And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now listen to this. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Is this how you go to God? When you look at yourself, you, you're just like, "Who am I? Even asking yourself that, who are you to be? Who am I to be in this church today? Who am I? What, what am I before God? That's the question you need to ask. That's being poor in spirit. For I am a man of unclean lips. I remember also, um, if you read in in the Gospels, uh, we see the same posture with Peter. When he saw Christ, and then Christ told him, you know, throw your net uh, on the deepest part. I I, I think that's what he said. And then they caught so much fish. And then you see the posture of Peter. He said, depart from me, Lord, for, you know, yeah, he he saw himself, like, what's going on? He, he He looked at himself before God, before the Son of God, and he saw his unworthiness before God. And lastly, let us turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 13. Luke... Chapter 13, chapter 18, verse 9 to 13. 18, verse 9 to 13. Okay, wrong chapter, okay. 18, verse 9 to 13. This is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, this is a very interesting story other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I five, uh, fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. This is the self-righteous Pharisee before God. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, the picture of being poor in spirit. When you go before God, you acknowledge that I am nothing before God. I am spiritually bankrupt. I am worthless. I am wretched. There's nothing that I do, even if I am rich and I do my best to give to charity even if I do my best to not hate people but still before God I am unholy, before God I am a man of filth, I am a sinner before God, nothing that I have can save me before God, nothing that I do can save me before God, that's being poor in spirit. Just ask yourself, are you such a person? Are you poor in spirit? Are you filled with arrogance? Are you filled with self-righteousness? Do you rely on your works? Do you count your works as something that you can boast before God and present before God and say, Lord, see all this that I do. Like this Pharisee who says, I think... You, God, that I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I give tithes of all that I get. I fast twice a week. Do you look at others and say, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like this gossiper. I'm so thankful I'm not like this uh, fornicator. I'm so thankful I'm not like this homosexual. Do you look at your deeds and you compare with others and you say you are better than them? Or do you go before God and you see the wretchedness in yourself and you say, unless you God save me, there is nothing that can save me. Unless you Lord take me out of this situation, take me out of this spiritual poverty that I have. Take me out of this bankruptcy in my heart. Nothing will save me. You go before God and say, God be merciful to me, a sinner, like the text collector. That's the posture of being poor in spirit. Unless you see yourself as any Uh, of these men that we quoted Moses, Isaiah and this text collector, even Peter yours is not the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is not for the self-righteous it's not for the arrogant it's not for the worthy but it's for the um, ungodly the the, the people who need God who, who realize that they are nothing before God And brethren, you must be poor in spirit to be truly blessed. Connecting with blessedness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you have that posture before God, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are poor in spirit. You will always be poor in spirit. Even though we know that we have obtained righteousness before God. But remove the righteousness, you're still poor. So there's nothing. It's not like that uh, whatever you do now is, is, is now you're You can go before God and say, Oh, I am, I'm not righteous. Look at my righteousness. There's nothing righteous about you. It's just that you are walking and Christ is in you. As Paul says, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's what uh, righteousness is. But remove Christ you are wretched you are filthy you are unworthy before god even when you go before god in the end of time before the judgment throne of god what are you going to show for salvation or to show as your passport into the kingdom of heaven lord i am a wretched man if it wasn't for christ who saved me if it wasn't for your grace If it wasn't for your mercy, I wouldn't be standing before you today. So, the kingdom of heaven is not for the arrogant. It is not for the proud. It is not for the self-righteous, but for the unworthy and the helpless. Those that feel themselves they can do nothing they are undone before God they cannot offer anything before God and if you, want, if you truly want to be happy in the Lord be broken before God be crushed before God strip yourself of anything in you that says I have all these achievements I have all these that I have done be like Paul to say, all these things I have done, all these things I had, I, I considered them, I took them as rubbish. Go before God with a contrite heart. If you truly want to be in the kingdom of God, as Jesus was teaching the people that were following him, they were following him, but they didn't understand what it took, or what it takes to be in the kingdom of heaven. And if you truly want to be in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of heaven, you need to repent with a broken and contrite heart. This is to those that have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have not repented. Repentance is not just going to say, I'm going to try to do good now, you know. Yeah. But it's going to say, Lord, my life, my, the life that I live, it's, it's, it's like rebellion it's, it's just rebellion against you it's, it's like I, I'm trying to start a fight with God my works just show that I hate God it's not good and Lord because of my deeds because of my sin before you I am yeah I should just you know I should just be extinguished Right? But you go before God and say, Save me, O Lord, I am a sinner. And help me be good before you. Pray that, Lord, save me through your blood, for I cannot save myself. So, God does not help those that help themselves. That's the opposite of the statement. God helps. Those that help themselves. No, God does not help those who help themselves. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless, those without the strength, those that are unworthy before God. Luke chapter 5, verse 31. This ties in everything and is. Uh, a section of my conclusion, Luke chapter five, verse thirty-one. Let's read. Uh, let's read from verse twenty-nine or from verse twenty-seven. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Levi is uh, Matthew, by the way, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. This guy repented. He's like, you know, this is nothing. I will follow after Christ. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining a table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, "Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you go around saying I'm righteous, uh, you know, look at this guy, he's so cruel. Some of us we, we like to compare ourselves, like ah, you know, Hitler, Hitler was evil. Mugabe was evil." All these people we look at uh, around and we just complain. Ah, this man is so evil. Ah, this man is so evil. But how about you? Are you righteous before God? If it wasn't for the grace of God, you would be as evil. Even worse than some of the people you, com- you, you, com- uh, you complain about. Even if it wasn't for the grace of God. But Jesus said those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick those who are rich have no need for Christ but those who are poor I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance as long as you go before God and try to say look at my works you will not receive salvation but if you say Lord there is nothing in me that I can give for my salvation, that I can give to attain the kingdom, then you will receive salvation. So this is a message to those that are saved, the Christians, lest you be tempted to think that your works have, or they account to something into the, in the kingdom of God. It should be a prayer all the time to say, Lord, I, 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 I am so thankful for salvation because I am just a wretched. I'm just like any other person in the streets, the person who are prostituting themselves, any homosexual that I don't even like to think about, this drunkard. I'm just like this guy. But the difference between me and him is that I have Christ. That our posture should always remain, um, being poor in spirit. And those that do not or have not known Christ, we cannot say anything more than go before God in contrition, in brokenness. As long as you continue to go before God, uh, thinking that you want to buy the kingdom of God, you want to buy salvation. That you can offer something for salvation. Then yours is not the kingdom. But the kingdom is for the poor in spirit. Let us pray.